Hello, you've reached us once again here at the Real Dirt Podcast. And today on the Real Dirt, I have Lewis Hahn. Lewis is the director of Deal Flow with the ArtView Group. Those of you who don't know the ArtView Group, they're an investor network for cannabis groups. Anything cannabis they've invested in or are willing to talk about investing in, they've done $240 million of investment in the industry. I personally know people that have pitched the art group and, and, and pitched and received money from the art group for investment. They're one of the leading people in this industry with so many people that are maybe like dubious or more money oriented. The art view group really comes out authentic. And I'm, I'm really glad today and proud today to have Lewis Hahn with me. How you doing, Lewis? Thanks for the intro, Chip. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on The Real Dirt. Pleasure to be on. Oh, man, I, I was so excited when we started chatting about being on the, the Real Dirt, specifically because I love your title, Director of Deal Flow. <laughs> Did you come up with that? It was a collaborative effort. Okay. <laughs> it is a pretty unique position that you don't exactly go to college and get a major for. Yeah, I think that title best captures what I do here on a day-to-day basis. I love the deal. I'm a business person at heart, even though, you know, we're doing this like media project right now with the real dirt. It's all about the deal. I love buying. I love selling. I love negotiating between the two parties. I love feeling like that, that moment when, when the deal isn't going to go through and you're like, well, how about if we do it this way? And then it just all, <laughs> all works. So I, I imagine your life is like that, like all day long. Pretty much, um, by and large, you know, we're not so much talking about the exchange of products. We are talking about investments. Day to day, I work with, you know, or I see more than 20 to 30 uh, opportunities coming to me per week personally, uh, whether they're coming in through our website or referrals or things of that nature. I see a lot of that front end of the deal flow and not just the front end, uh, but also for companies that really do make it. I see them grow and and pitch to our network. And at the end of the day, a lot of them do receive funding as well. And then, of course, even beyond our queue, seeing them go out and build real businesses with real products for people and seeing them out in the world. I mean, I've got a bunch of stories to tell there, but I think we'll wait to get to that part. Everybody's got a story to tell, as they say. I know you you meeting some incredible entrepreneurs. Hey, you know, I asked you a moment ago, like like what ArcView was, and man, you just you said it just so right. Could you give that to me? What is ArcView Group? What is the ArcView Group? For sure, for sure. So the ArcView Group, we're a nine year old investor network and market research firm for the cannabis industry. Uh, over the course of the nine years, our investor members have placed more than $240 million into cannabis companies that we've looked at and have come to the network. And we'll look at everything from brands and dispensaries to hardware and SaaS. If it has to do with cannabis, we'll take a look at it. How long have you been with ArcView? Uh, myself, I've been with ArcView for a, a little over three and a half years. September will be my uh, fourth year anniversary. What was your background before you got involved with, with ArcView? Were you involved with cannabis previously? Did you, did you, did you know what it was? Uh, yeah, no, I, I knew what cannabis was. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a meandering story, but I'll give you the short version. Basically, I was graduating law school in 2014, and I had a pretty big decision to make of what I was going to do with the rest of my life after graduating from law school that year. 
2014 also just happened to be the year, right, that Colorado and Washington made their announcements about going recreational. And that got me curious. Here I was, fully equipped to, to read and interpret the law. And I was curious about what California's cannabis framework looked like. That system was the Prop 215 SB 420 system. Very different than what the cannabis world in California looks like today. But it made it a, a fairly or relatively low barrier to entry to get involved with. Uh, with. So I had some savings. And I actually started my own cannabis uh, business as well. Uh, it was a delivery-based collective that ran up and down the East Bay of uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. Grew it to 300 patients, made it profitable. And practically did everything myself. So I started out being a cannabis entrepreneur myself, actually, uh, after taking a look at California's legal framework. After doing that for about a year, I sort of saw the writing of the wall that eventually uh, a big book of regulations uh, was coming down. And here we are with Prod 64 and everything, right? By that time, I had actually joined the Arcview Group in 2015, in late 2015, and I haven't looked back since. So you joined ArcView in uh, 2015. That was before the California regulations came into place. And, and, but after Oregon and Colorado and, and Washington, when you first came in, it was a different pitch environment back then. Because now it's readily, I mean, it's, it's legal in so many states now or going legal in mm-hmm. so many states. I'm, I'm interested in what it, what it kind of looked like back then and what it kind of looks like now. Oh, so much has changed in just the, the three or four years uh, since I joined RQ. Uh, I mean, when I started, uh, RQ was only at about 300 or so investor members with just about $60 million deployed. Uh, and over the course of at least my tenure here, uh, we've doubled those investor member numbers and we've quadrupled the number of investments in just about a third of the time of our history. Part of that accelerated growth really has to do with both of the kinds of clients that we work with, the fundraising companies and the investors themselves. Uh, Back when I joined, it was a lot of angel-sized deals because that's simply where the industry was. No one really could scale up to become a a massive company that needed tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in funding. The industry was fairly nascent and small, and so there was a lot of startup and seed-stage deals. And on the flip side, angel investors who had the risk tolerance to deploy capital into these angel or seed-sized deals. Good for them, though, because a lot of those names have turned out to be household names now. For example, MJ Freeway was the very first company ever to pitch to ArcView back when it was just eight people sitting around a conference table. Same thing with Ease or uh, Medicine Man Denver uh, and other companies that you know are, are big players in the space. But more recently, you know, these companies have grown up and are now looking for Series A, B, C level funding growth stage capital, as we call it, where they're looking to scale up their business and not so much start their business. So that requires a lot of capital. And the investors, too. There's a lot more cannabis-specific funds now, which we're also uh, in in the phases of, of building ourselves as well. Uh, but funds have come into the space, which are able to deploy not just a, a large amount of capital to meet those Series A, B, et cetera, uh, raises, Uh, but also the strategic relationships and the knowledge and the skills, things that simply money can solve to help grow businesses too. So just the landscape has changed a lot over the last few years. 
so many of our listeners are business people, business owners that are even either want to get into cannabis or are already into cannabis in some form or fashion, want to scale their businesses. And I'm sure many of them out there have had, you know, are, are confused by some of the, the words you just said. <laughs> as as I was too when I when I first heard them, you know, in the in the early days of ArcView, you know, you you mentioned it was mostly angel investors. Could you could you t- tell me the difference between the angel investors and the funds and kind of how they act now? Angel investors. The term refers to um, usually an individual, so not like a formally organized fund or um, or organized group, but an individual uh, investor. It could be a rich aunt, you know, it could be your dentist um, or that sort of thing. And these are people who have extra uh, cash that they have lying around that they want to invest in usually startups. The term angel refers to, um, it's kind of funny, but most funds and you know people on Wall Street, investors on Wall Street, that sort of thing, they're usually looking to fund huge multi-million or multi-billion size deals um, and generally don't get involved in startups. Startups is a fairly new thing, only having developed it over the last 60 or 70 years. So an angel, though, uh, like an angel, will come down from the sky and bless your company with their uh, investment because no one on Wall Street is willing to touch it. Um, <laughs> again, because they only get involved at a certain scale or a certain size. But that's what the term refers to. Now, that's uh, different than an accredited investor, which is actually a formal term defined by the SEC, which says that you need to be of a certain net worth or make a certain uh, income to meet the baseline standard in order to gain all these uh, favorable uh, benefits uh, under securities laws. That's also a group of folks that we work with, accredited investors. In fact, they only work with accredited investors. But within that catch-all category of accredited investors, you have the angel investors, which I just described, funds, family offices, VCs, that sort of thing. What's the difference between the level of investment an angel investment investor might come in versus a, a group? Typically, an angel investor, you know, will help a startup out at the very early stages of the company. You might have just the idea or maybe you have proof of concept. uh, And now you're looking to actually launch a business with this thing. Uh, Typically, you know, I've seen uh, ask sizes, raise sizes anywhere between 150,000 to 500,000 to get things just started. Uh, And that's where an angel investor will typically come in. Oftentimes with other angel investors, too, where, they're, where they'll uh, pull together their resources to invest in a startup round of a company. That's different than a company that's looking to scale and raise what's called a series A, B, C, on and on. These companies are often raising one, five, ten mil or more to help scale their business because they're beyond the proof of concept point. They're probably already doing a million dollars or more in sales already have a pretty good regional or national footprint. And now they're looking to really just blow up and scale the business so that they can get into all their channels. Man, financing is the hardest part in cannabis, cannabis ancillary businesses. You know, my, our primary business is selling picks and shovels, tools, grow lights, fertilizers. We make potting soil and, and we're mm-hmm. still have our own problems with financing and with banks we still get thrown in, so to speak, with ganja growers. Not that I think that's a bad lot. I think it's a pretty good, cool people group of people to be in with. It is difficult if many people who haven't been involved or want to get involved in, in cannabis, it is different taxation. It's different financing. 
You can't just get lines of credit. You can't get SBA loans. None mm-hmm. of that easily. You guys, you really have done a, a tremendous amount in that arena. And I mean, I know $240 million is a lot of money to me and other people here listening to it, but it's just a drop in the bucket of the potential financing for this multi-billion dollar industry. Do you have an, an idea of the investment capability of the industry or how much investment the industry needs? So in terms of the investment capability of the industry, um, over the years, I've seen that uh, definitely mature and get more sophisticated. You know, I mentioned uh, at least early on when I started here, it was a lot more angel-sized uh, investors who are only capable of deploying individually, you know, 10, 25, 50K at a time, which is difficult when you're trying to raise $5 million, uh, for example, right? Mm-hmm. But there are definitely a lot of uh, funds who are organizing themselves individual investors who realize the potential in pooling together the resources. But more and more interesting enough, uh, I've seen those startups that I was talking about, who nine years ago were just a startup themselves. They have grown up to to become uh, really big players in the space and are acquiring uh, companies themselves. Sometimes we don't think about mergers and acquisitions uh, or companies acquiring others as an investment, but it kind of is. Mm-hmm. For a startup that's looking to, you know, uh, looking for an exit or maybe looking for a strategic partner, the cannabis industry, as challenging as it may be, there are some big players in the space and more and more a lot of them are acquiring uh, companies themselves to either uh, enter into new markets uh, or develop a new product line or things like that. Yeah, you mentioned Madison Man Denver earlier as one of your first one of the first people to to go through the ArcView system. I mean, they've done just that. They've bought several people now. They're, they're a publicly traded company in, in some form. Mm-hmm. Medicine Man, I might get it all wrong, but we have had we we had their former CFO on the show not too long ago. They're a local customer of ours. We do a good bid business with them. But they've bought Denver Consulting Group. They're Medicine Man Technologies. They have Success Nutrients, Three Alight. They've really expanded that way. Part of the M&A strategy, instead of starting all over yourselves, uh, you might as well work with someone who's already doing it. Um, yeah. So we're seeing, yeah, I'm, I'm personally seeing a lot more of that activity uh, just within our network, too. Better to buy and to build it, that's for sure. I built a few houses, a few warehouses, a few manufacturing plants, and there was always a point in it when I said, oh, man, I wish I could have just bought this thing. I should have just bought something, you know. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) So, man, I want to know how it works. I want to know, like, if one of my listeners out there is absolutely going to get in touch with you guys, what do they expect? They're going to call you up and they're going to say, hey, man, I need $5 million because I want to grow hemp in South Carolina or something like that. I know it's not that easy, but it kind of is. Could you, like, take me through it all? So just to be clear, uh, ArcView isn't a broker-dealer, uh, which is a specific term that refers to someone that has a license from FINRA and other governing um, agencies that uh, get a little bit more hands-on in really marketing the opportunities to investors. As an investor network, we really work with our investor members, the 600-plus accredited investor members. We're all signed up with us because they're actively look, uh, interested in looking at opportunities in the cannabis industry. And so how it works, you know, there's two main ways that companies have successfully raised capital through us. Uh, one of them is uh, event sponsorship. 
Uh, one of the key drivers of our inv- investor activity are the three-day private investor meetings that we hold five times a year all over the world. Uh, we've been to Hong Kong and Vancouver and Toronto and, of course, all around the United States, from San Francisco to New York. But we do take a limited number of event sponsors who are really looking to make a, a big presence uh, in the space or maybe be on a, a panel in front of two, three hundred or more investors um, in an audience and it demonstrates our thought leadership or even a fundraise as well. Uh, but there's another uh, channel as well, and this has served us well over the years too, and this is a competitive vetting process that we have that involves a more formally applying with us, uh, getting set up on our platform, making your case to our investment committee which is a group of 17 of our investor members uh, who help us decide uh, which opportunities uh, should get greater exposure to the rest of the network. And for those who really knock it out of the park, some of them will get uh, a free pass to the uh, investor conferences, like uh, like the one that we'll be having in Vancouver uh, at the end of April or Bogota, Colombia, uh, that we're doing at the beginning of May. We have those two channels because there are you know, huge companies that want to really make a splash with our investors. And then there are startups who are a little more cash-trapped, but we're always looking for the next big thing, too. So leveraging any one of those uh, opportunities or channels uh, to get in front of our network has, has proven to be uh, pretty successful uh, with our network. And the best place to get started uh, is our website. We actually have a, um, a, a little easy form that you can fill out that asks you to generally talk about yourself and your business. And from there, we'll decide uh, how we'll work best together. I've discovered this miracle product that makes cannabis grow better than anything else. And <laughs> I look up your website after listening to this episode with the real dirt. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I need to get in a, as an event sponsor or uh, I need to get in, in, in with ArcView somehow. Let's talk about the the, the event sponsors. You, you're you're having one here in Vancouver in a few weeks, right? April twentieth. April twenty third to twenty fifth. Twenty third to twenty fifth, Vancouver, Canada. One of my favorite places in the world. I was just there. I shared a photo with you when I was there. As a matter of fact, of uh, the <laughs> legal <laughs> cannabis smoking area outside the airport. <laughs> that was mind blowing to see. <laughs> yeah, that was re- that was really cool to see. So as an inventor and entrepreneur, I just register with you guys and show up at one of these events and meet people and start from there. Is it that simple? Mm, Not quite, but almost. Uh, And so uh, our investor meetings, like the ones that we're uh, hosting in Vancouver, uh, these are private gatherings for just the investors in our network, certain uh, sponsors that have signed up with us, and certain companies that have made it through our betting process. And it's this uh, intimate curated atmosphere uh, that has really been one of the uh, best value points in working with ArcView. Other conferences, you know, they're come one, come all, open to the public. And so when you're bumping into someone and trying to meet someone, you don't know if they're an investor or just looking at the space or what have you. At ArcView, that's our bread and butter. That's all we do. And so having this uh, tight-knit community at our venues, uh, that's what's really made it effective for entrepreneurs that have uh, come through our process or, or have signed up as sponsors in gaining confidence that uh, whoever they are going to bump into at our conferences is either going to be a, a well-intentioned investor or a serious player in the space as a strategic partner or as a company themselves. And so if you do want to join us in Vancouver, starting on our website is the best place to go. And we'll talk about either event sponsorship, if you're at that scale, or uh, going through the competitive betting process that we have. And it's through one of those two channels uh, that you'll have to engage in 
if you want to have any presence at the RP Vancouver conference or any of our investor meetings. So I just I just hop right to the end, just 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 like me. So 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 first it starts out with this competitive vetting system that you have. Tell me about that. How does that work? I interview companies and see uh, which opportunities are going to get through onto our platform and have them uh, more formally apply. A formal application involves, you know, getting on our proprietary deal flow platform. Think of it as like an angel list or Facebook, but just for opportunities that our few investor members have access to. And so everyone has to interview with me. And if they if they're good, they apply. And they apply not just to be on the platform, but also to gain time uh, in front of our uh, investment committee. It's that group of 17 individuals that I mentioned earlier that help us uh, look at opportunities and vet them. You make your case to them. And if this committee of investors like what they see, they'll approve you not just for a publication on our platform, but also if you'll be invited to uh, any one of our investor conferences. All in all, it probably takes about two to four hours of work, um, depending on what you have ready and what you don't. And that's just the, the process part and not the actual conference itself, which I mentioned is, you know, three days. Do you have like an, an example or like a, a maybe example is not right. Do you have like a success story you could tell me with someone who called you up and and, and now they're billionaires? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they called you up and now they're spreading fine cannabis across the world. <laughs> right, right. Well, one company that, uh, well, I'll share a couple of quick stories. There's one company called Aqualitas. They're a Canadian LP. And, and you can get some details from a site called New Cannabis Ventures. And so, you know, what I'm saying here isn't proprietary or confidential or anything like that. You know, there's a company called Aqualitas. They're a Canadian grower, not publicly traded or anything. Uh, and they're based in Nova Scotia. Now, when they first came to me, I'll admit, you know, a lot of Canadian LPs were, were knocking on ArcView's door. It was right around one of those boom periods where everyone wanted to become a Canadian grower. This woman, uh, Myrna Gillis, the CEO, had a very interesting background, a professional background, had surrounded herself with good people, and wasn't just about growing cannabis, but growing cannabis in a sustainable way. They were using uh, aquaponics technology. They were one of the few, if not the only, cultivators uh, that was leveraging wind and uh, water power in Nova Scotia. And all those elements put together made them stand out from everyone else who just wanted to grow the best weed for the cheapest price possible. It took a little bit, uh, again, I'll admit, to convince me that uh, they were special in the beginning. But as soon as they came through our conference for the first time, they gained a ton of traction. And then they pitched with us again, I believe, two times after that. All in all, they raised close to $11 million out of investors that they met through this group. And that's one of the success stories that I'm really proud of. How long did it take them to put that together? Uh, it took them about a year. Uh, they went through three ArcView meetings, if I recall correctly, over the course of 2017 to 2018. And I think after you know getting introduced to investors that way and really solidifying their relationships, uh, they were able to raise $11 million out of our group. That's one story. Uh, another story is a company called Spring Big. Uh, Jeff Harris uh, is the CEO over there. And when he first engaged with us, um, he was just raising a, a, a fairly standard bridge round. And, you know, he didn't know much about us. We didn't know much about him. But as soon as I looked at his pitch deck and, and some of the, uh, the metrics there, I could tell that he had something really interesting going on. And so we moved him forward through our process, too. Uh, I think the investors in our network were impressed by the team as well as the, the business that he had already built. 
And I believe just this past December or November in 2018, late 2018, they had closed uh, $5 million as part of the Series A uh, from, again, investors that they met through this group. And that was in addition to the bridge round that they came to us for um, in 2017, which was on uh, a little bit on a smaller end. So all this is to say that there are companies who have sort of just worked with us once, gotten the capital that they needed, and moved on with the rest of the business. But I'm also really happy to see companies that even I might have been skeptical about, uh, to be honest, uh, in the beginning, but then repeatedly worked with us to raise the capital that they needed uh, to scale their business even further. And I'm really proud and happy about that. You know, that's that's the one interesting, many interesting things about business that surprised me. I'm, I'm always learning, but... I have seen so many people who you thought were going to make it and it was going to be the, they'd be like, well, they got their stuff together and it, it didn't work out for them. And then I've, mm-hmm. I've prejudged other people in a similar manner. I'm like, oh, they don't have it together. Right. It's not going to work for them. Who are these guys? And I'll say one of, one of my now best friends, Justin Jones, Greg Gamut, they were two of these guys who they came into my store and I was like, there's no way these guys are going to succeed. <laughs> Right. And now literally, I think Greg's, you know, building 420,000 square feet of cultivation. Uh, They've got multiple cannabis businesses. uh, Justin Jones is making 40 million hemp seeds today. So people will surprise you. That's for sure. You know, you mentioned this thing that happened that people talk about. And I've been involved in cannabis my whole life. And before the way you got money, it was you went to your buddy or your your godfather, your grandfather and said, hey, man, I want to borrow some money to grow, go some go and grow weed. Right. And they would give it to you and, you know, you would pay it back to them. And you mentioned earlier when MJ Freeway, when they pitched you guys, it was just in a room with eight people around a table. But now it's it's a different world now. It's more sophisticated. And these words of, of pitches and pitch decks and IPIDA, these are all foreign words to people, market evaluation, market cap. And, 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 mm-hmm. and now it's starting to be common things people talk about. Could you explain a pitch deck to us and what it is and, and what it could kind of look like? And, and then maybe you got some, some advice over that. For sure, for sure. So a pitch deck um, is, you know, it's actually used in a lot of different contexts, not just in investments, but in sales, for example, uh, when you're trying to propose something to a new client. But in the investment context, uh, a pitch deck is usually something that's built in PowerPoint or a keynote or something like that. And it talks about at a very high level, the key aspects of your business, the product, the team, how much you're raising, what the capital will be used for, the market that you're involved in, all those like really high level details uh, about your business. And that's usually used to, to start the conversation, sending it to investors via email, taking the deck around uh, with you to investment conferences or big expos and things like that, and using that as a conversation opener, really. And then you have a more full-fledged conversation with investors and attorneys and all that involved later down the road. Uh, but a pitch deck is simply uh, uh, something that you open with um, to really send around uh, to, to gauge people's interests. That's a really great way to describe it. You know, people send me pitch decks all the time for various things. Many of them are so complex. There's so many details in them. But that's not what needs to happen. It just needs to be a, a small brief document that just says, hey, this is who we are and this is what we're doing and this is what we want from you. And let's talk more about it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I have seen really long in-depth decks 
well and they have their place. Uh, but by and large, at least here at Arcview, something easy, you know, a teaser, an opener, that sort of thing, just to get the conversation started. Um, that's usually what I see over here. So I've got a pitch deck and I've opened it at one of your conferences to someone. I'm, I'm hey, I'm, oh, yeah, I got a deck. Here's my deck. Here, check out my deck. You know, then there's an informal conversation, right? Mm-hmm. If the investor likes you or they want to hear more, they're going to invite you into a, a more formal pitch, right? Where you're mm-hmm. in a, a private room with people and you're going to convince these guys to give you $5 million, $10 million, $40 million. Right. right. You, you, you got some pitch advice for people? You know, I'll actually take a step back. And uh, before talking about the pitch, one of the things that I think uh, some startup founders and entrepreneurs miss out on is understanding their audience. Right. And this is kind of particular to ArcView. And so maybe I'll be a little selfish here. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of startup founders in, in the cannabis industry, they're used to talking to people who aren't very knowledgeable about cannabis. Right. Maybe the person that they're talking to has heard about um, all the great benefits of cannabis as a medicinal plant. Maybe they've heard about the big upward potential uh, of the industry on a commercial level, but don't know really the ins and outs. But here at ArcView, you're kind of preaching to the choir. (laughs) You don't need to Mm -hmm. convince anyone that cannabis uh, needs to be descheduled. You don't need to convince anyone that there's this huge market potential and and the medicinal benefits and, and all that stuff. Now we just need to get into the nitty-gritty details of your business. You know, I'll get, and usually in that first conversation, people who open up about the medicinal benefits and the, and the scale of the market and things like that. And I'll say, okay, hold on, we get that. Now let's get to you. Let's, let's talk about you. Uh, so uh, if there's any entrepreneurs who are raising capital and have only done it once or twice, or it's new to them, one of the things that I would advise is understanding the audience that you're pitching to. Now, when it gets to the pitch itself, I would follow the conversation. There are, you know, example decks out there, not just in cannabis, but in tech and in other spaces that um, have this formula, right? Problem, solution, market, team, et cetera, et cetera. You can very efficiently deliver information that way, but turn it into a conversation. I mean, getting involved with an investor is almost like getting married. This is someone who's going to be involved in your business for five to 10 years or more uh, in a lot of cases. And given the amount of equity that they may own in your business, they may have something to say about the direction that your business is going, whether it comes to a new hire or a new product or a new market that you're getting into, uh, any of those things. And so it's really important that you are authentic uh, in your presentation, in your pitch, but you're also trying to build a relationship with them because, again, you're going to be involved with them uh, for a number of years if everything works out. Just being authentic about yourself, I think, uh, is an important part of that conversation that you're having. And also talk about your team. (laughs) It's kind of funny, but a lot of my uh, conversations, too, they jump right immediately into the ins and outs of their technology or their product, or they'll uh, get to how much money they made last year or, or, or things like that. But one of the key things that we look at here at ArcView and from our conversations with investors in our network, what they look at, too, is you know the background of the team, the pedigree of the team. Have you done this before? Have you been an entrepreneur before? What's your level of education in the cannabis space? Have you raised capital in other contexts? What do you like to do for fun? <laughs> so all those, uh, all those things about the team uh, should also come across in the pitch because a number of times... They'll spend the entire time just talking about everything else about the business, except who's running the ship. <laughs> yeah, the team is the most important thing, that's for sure. 
I get excited about it too. I jump right into it all the time. We did it today in our pre-interview for this. I just jump right into it. I was like, wait a second, wait a second. Got to back, got to get back. Someone that you mentioned marriage earlier, but, but someone mentioned it to me as like, well, it's, you got to date first. You can't just like go out and be like, hey, I'm looking for $10 million. You, you got to like warm, pe- warm the people up a little bit. They got to get to know you. Just like you said, you got to make sure you want to be in business with them for so many years. Right. Because a large investment or any small investment, if it starts to go wrong, then, you know, it's important to pick the right people where you can uh, all come to terms on how things are going right or wrong. You just can't jump at the first money that's given to you. That's for sure. Nor should you jump at the first idea that's pitched at you. I've unfortunately seen numerous, numerous people make financing mistakes. And that's the biggest thing they do wrong is they don't vet their investor well enough. They don't see how he's broken up with other people. They don't check out the life. He has a lawsuit history. They don't know if he has a drug or alcohol problem or, or if he's even full of shit, you know? (laughs) And I've, I've seen numerous people waste months and, and, and even years with people who, who didn't have the, didn't have the money, but said they did, who didn't have the resources, but said they did. I've, I've also seen like really good people jump into bad investment relationships uh, you know, and borrow five or 10 million or invest five or get someone to invest five or $10 million with them. And then, you know, the market changes or there's a problem and people are unhappy. And now these these people's dreams, their cannabis dreams are literally like, you know, ruined in some cases because they chose the wrong investors. What do you guys do to vet your investors? We talked about how you vet the entrepreneurs, but how, how do you vet the investors? I work with a really good team here um, that, you know, I don't, I can't say I do everything myself, uh, but I work with a really great team here uh, who uh, works with uh, both onboarding new investors and working with them throughout the course of their membership uh, in identifying the right opportunities for them. In terms of vetting, I mean, we ask them to, to uh, certify that they're accredited investors, uh, that they meet that legal definition of what an accredited investor is. We have conversations with them, and our team is really hands-on. We all go to these conferences that we host ourselves, and we make it a point to build relationships with people there and get to know them that way, too, in addition to the phone calls and emails and all that. Some people, you know, speak for themselves. Uh, For example, when we we were hosting our our ArcView conference in Santa Monica in Los Angeles in California a couple of months ago, we had people from Casa Verde and Navy Capital, uh, Canopy Growth. These names sort of speak for themselves, right? But by and large, yeah, we have a whole team that uh, handles the the betting and the onboarding and the managing process, and they do a great job at it. That's really the most important part to to vet people like that. Honestly, I guess if if you're that financially endowed, it's not so hard to check you out, especially these days. You can definitely get letters of credit from people's banks. You can get personal recommendations from people. Somebody always knows some the other guy. You know, and if there's any skeletons, like you can, you can generally dig them up. I know there's professionals out there that can hide from all of us, but yeah, man, it's, it's, it's important to, important to vet it. That's great that you guys put so much effort into it. This just isn't in the U S anymore. This is all over the world. I mean, you mentioned Vancouver, but you're, you've got an investor conference in Bogota, right? Do, do you, you've got other places in the world too, I'm sure. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we've been to Toronto as well in years past, but uh, we're really excited to be, to be breaking into the South American market uh, by hosting our first ever investor conference in uh, Bogota, Colombia, uh, May 2nd. Um, that's sort of a, a, a smaller version of what we usually do. Our investor meetings are normally three days long, but in May in Bogota, we're just going to do um, a single day. And that's an opportunity to bring American investors to uh, Colombia and show what's going on down there, but also introduce Colombian investors uh, to um, and, another, and other South American investors to American opportunities that we'll be bringing down there. Um, so we're really excited to take a look at how the cannabis industry is growing in Colombia. We've already expanded beyond Canada already. Uh, we've gone to Hong Kong, for example, last year to test the waters of um, how the cannabis market is doing there. We have one of our team members that goes to China all the time to just sort of keep the pulse on how the hemp market is sort of moving and shaking around there. And so we're really excited to see not just our own investor membership going to these investor meetings with us all around the world, but just in general, seeing cannabis grow from just being a niche American issue to an international phenomenon and in industry, really. Now you've breached one of my favorite subjects of hemp. Man, let's talk about hemp. I know you guys have had to have just been, you know, hearing so much investment opportunity with hemp. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not a day goes by when I don't hear about something that someone is doing in the hemp space, especially with the passing of the farm bill. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of excitement and a lot of activity around the hemp space uh, and CBD that I'm seeing come through our queue. They have become my number one customer here at Cultivate Colorado, for sure. The number one conversation we have is hemp. The federal farm bill that I'm not going to say legalizes hemp, but uh, has has really done a huge effort into making uh, a hemp a, a, a commodity and a, a really like viable farming product. You know, I, I really feel that it's going to pave the way for for ganja and how it's going to be federally dealt with. Do you see some problems going on right now with with the scale of hemp and with funding of hemp? I wouldn't call them uh, problems uh, as as much as I call them road bumps. I think uh, most, sure. if not all, problems can be worked through. But especially here at ArcView, given the fact that we've been at this for nine years, we've been through a couple of waves of excitement, I'll say. Uh, when the first cannabis company ever got listed um, on one of the pink sheet uh, stock exchanges, when yeah, the Colorado and Washington and, and Oregon first legalized and that wave of excitement, uh, when Canada went legal at an adult use or recreational level, we've also you know been through all these waves. And hemp is, uh, don't get me wrong, it's, there's definitely some special about the birth and the growth of, of the hemp industry and CBD and the passing of the farm bill. But as you might already be privy to, the really high wholesale prices of like the of the traditional cannabis plant did reach a peak and then has slowly started to lower over the years because people realize that cannabis can't exactly sustain those prices especially in a regulated market. And so um, we see hemp uh, headed in a similar direction. Don't know exactly when, but I imagine it'll start out being a really great cash crop for uh, a lot of cultivators. But as uh, competition starts increasing, people start bringing new technology into the mix that we're going to see a lowering of uh, the wholesale price uh, of hemp. Also, quality is a huge issue. That's, a, that's one of the key things that our investor uh, committee 
uh, our investment committee takes a look at uh, when it comes to funding any sort of hemp or CBD-related opportunities. Uh, we want to know where the hemp comes from, what the purification or the distilling process is like, you know, how clean it is, as well as the quality level, all of that we're curious about because we don't want to, you know, fund or back projects that eventually have a, a negative impact on people's health. Um, that's not what we're in the business in. So we take a close look at things, things like that. I think you're right on with hemp, Lewis. Uh, it's an exciting project right now. The price is falling rapidly when we first got involved with it. Five years ago, it was $1,200 a pound. It cost just as much as ganja did at the time. Uh, now I see it averaged, you know, I shouldn't say average, but I see prices ranging from $100 to $26 a pound. Uh, throughout the Southeast, I see $26, $28 is a common price. Uh, their quality might not be as good, and that's why it's a little lower. And hey, nothing against you Southern farmers. You know how that rain is. You know how much mold was out there. You know how the crops didn't mature right. Oregon had an, an exceptional year this year with quality, but their prices still have remained relatively high. And I hear people selling from 50 to $80 a pound up there. And, you know, we're talking biomass when we talk pounds, which is just, you know, bucked buds and leaves that are off the stems primarily it's definitely changing there's still good money in it for sure and i still think there's money in it at ten dollars a pound you just have to scale your growth the isolate market i think that's going to be the people that take the biggest hit coming soon you know most people have built their manufacturing plants there's extraction plants on old garage or distilling technology and it just doesn't scale the same and these large companies that are coming in or these large extraction facilities that are being built that are more on a chemical scale they're just so much faster and do it so much cheaper that it's just going to be hard to compete by building with the old technology uh, that that most of the extractors are so i definitely see that there's there's going to be a some confusion in the marketplace on the isolate side as well. But as far as like the, man, the, the, the end user products, those are taken off. They're going to put CBD in every single thing from toothpaste to bubble gum, to peanut butter, everything. See, they're going to, people have designs to put it in everything. So uh, supply and demand, who, who knows where it's going to go, but I think it's a wonderful thing that's happening with hemp right now, for sure. I think it's a great opportunity for entrepreneurs. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that too, CBD being included in all sorts of products, teas and juices and pet products and all sorts of things. And the health benefits that come with, um, particularly in the uh, health and wellness space, I'm pretty excited for it because in my mind, it sort of paves the way for the 100 plus other cannabinoids, right? Conversation mm -hmm. is mostly around THC and CBD, but mm -hmm. there's all these other cannabinoids that we haven't fully researched. We hear a lot of stories and there's people who are doing good research, but hasn't really hit that critical mass. Once it does, I'm really excited to see, you know, years down the road, uh, more health and wellness products based out of uh, the cannabis plant and eventually helping the lives of, of everyone. It's definitely you know, challenging in some cases uh, and because this is new for all of us, uh, but I, I think there's um, definitely a positive future uh, that we're working towards. Oh, yeah. Cannabis continues to cultivate us. 
That's for sure. Most people (laughs) think it's the other way around, but I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. that it's the cannabis plant that's, that's uh, cultivating us. (laughs) Exactly. It's been really good chatting with you today. I'd like to ask you kind of one other question, man. If, if you have some advice for entrepreneurs coming into, into cannabis business, what would it be? For sure. If you're just trying to break into the cannabis industry, I would bring both your skills and your authenticity to this really cool space. I've heard it from a number of people, whether they're investors or startups or just people who are generally involved. There's a different level of camaraderie and there's there's a different level of connection uh, in this industry. And people can only really do that because they're authentic, right? Because they really do want to build something new, that they want to get involved and get close to the cannabis plant, um, that they really want to put their skills to use. And to that point, you know, not only should you bring your genuine interest in cannabis, uh, but think about the skills that you have to bring to the table. I mean, now that the cannabis industry is an industry, you're going to need what any other business uh, is going to need, sales, marketing, design, corporate development, leadership skills, management skills, uh, if you're a tech company, coding skills, all those things. If you're in school already, maybe you're a student who's in college or whatever, or you're a working professional that's just looking for something new, think about the skills that you can bring to the table and find startups and other opportunities um, that can best use those skills. And so that, that'd be uh, some of the advice that I'd leave with uh, anyone who's uh, trying to get involved in the space. I mean, that's really great advice because, you, you, you know, you don't have to be a grower or a weed dealer or a geneticist to be involved in mm-hmm. this. It's the business is bigger than that. It takes CEOs, CFOs, administrators, uh, IT people, you know, organizers. It, it takes all types of people. I mean, marketers, marketing is the hardest thing to do with cannabis right now. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. elite marketers should gravitate towards cannabis because it is so difficult. There's opportunities everywhere with it. Like I said, who's cultivating whom? This has been a great episode. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for joining me, Lewis. Oh, thanks so much, Chip. It was a pleasure being on The Real Dirt. Thanks for having me. Lewis Hahn, director of the Deal Flow with the ArcVu Group. If uh, you like this episode or others, please join us at therealdirt.com or download the podcasts on that are the Real Dirt podcast on iTunes. Subscribe. If you have any comments, please feel free to email us at info at therealdirt.com or hey, chip at therealdirt.com. I'd be glad to chat with you. Thanks again, Lewis. And uh, hey, have a great day, man. Thank you, Chip. You have a good day, too.